got a Bible, you might want to start turning to the Gospel of John. Um, that's our new sermon series that, we've been go- that we'll go through right till Easter, I think. John's Gospel describing or revealing to us who is this person called Jesus. And so today we'll be looking at John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. John chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. When Jesus meets a very famous man called Nicodemus, and says very famously, you must be born again. John 3. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus was shaking up the town by what he was doing and saying. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Nicodemus, very puzzled, scratching his head, said, how can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus said, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb and be born. Ladies, don't think about that. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's going from from, or where it is going. So So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be, said Nicodemus? You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things very truly, I tell you. We speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still people do not accept the testimony. I have spoken to you earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who has came from heaven. The Son of Man, he must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing encounter, this famous encounter. And I pray, Lord God, by this encounter, we are changed. I pray, Lord God, that some people who might not even know Jesus in this room might come alive, that that spirit, that little flame might start to ignite and burn, maybe for the first time in this room. I also pray for the rest of us who hear this about being born again and not thinking, not switching off thinking, that's not for me, but actually realizing the reality that God has birthed us into in Jesus' name. Amen. So, This is a very famous conversation recorded in John's Gospel. If John hadn't written it, written about it, we probably wouldn't have known about it. It's quite fundamental, really, and it's probably the most famous passage, if you like, describing the miracle of becoming a Christian. New life, new birth. We said a few things and sang a few things about that this morning. It's where the term born again actually originates from, from the very, very lips of Jesus. So it's an important passage. You see, being a Christian um, is, is different from all other faith claims, if you like. 
It, it isn't just a way of life or a set of rules and regulations to follow in order to pre, uh, please some grumpy old man in the sky, um, God, but rather it's a supernatural, it's a supernatural event, a miracle from God himself. Twenty years ago, I first cried out to Jesus with tears rolling down my face. I was so far away from anything of God, from, from a Hindu background, no Christian upbringing, starting out as a proud, arrogant, newly qualified doctor, thinking I was doing God a favor, that somehow he needed me to sort out the mess of this world. Enough money in my pocket, enough attention, enough booze, enough pleasure for me to become a Christian could only have taken a miracle. And I know there's lots of stories like that in this room. If you're not a Christian here this morning, this miracle that I've just described is here for you. Have I got your attention? And for those who already cherish and love Jesus, you know what? Don't switch off, as I said earlier. This is more for you than anybody else, actually. What we're going to say today, my question to you is, if this miracle has really, really occurred in your life, why are you not experiencing it fully or more so? Have I got your attention too? Good, we'll begin. So this morning, new life, new birth, what some theologians called regeneration, it sounds something from the Matrix film, that's where we're going this morning, okay. The who, the what, the who, the where, the what and the how of being born again. So firstly, the who. Who is this for? So, look at verse 3. See, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Verse 7 says this, You must, you must be born again. It's clearly important, isn't it? To Jesus. You see, when most people think about born again, um, uh, think about a born again Christian, they think, Oh, I used to. I remember at university listening to a conversation about a girl, um, co- uh, a, a conversation about a girl called Rosie, who was it? Who was in Christian Union, and how some of the guys were saying something like, "She doesn't drink, she doesn't smoke, she doesn't swear, and she doesn't sleep around. She must be a born again Christian." Ugh. I remember that conversation vividly. In fact, there are probably two kinds of people when people say born-again Christian. Firstly, it's the morally upright, sandal-wearing, keep-all-the-rules, polite, gives-to-charity, goody-two-shoes, tut-tutting all the time, miserable, boring Christian. That's one. And then there's the emotionally weak, intellectually weak, need religion to help them along, excitable tambourine swingers maybe, probably broken in somewhere. A bit desperate, a bit loopy. These are the two categories that you guys fall into, according to Teesiders. I hope you're feeling encouraged. And by the way, when it comes to uh, uh, when it comes to Paul's, uh, when it comes to um, Paul's, when asked when asked the big question, "Would you like to live next door to a born again Christian?" the answer from 70% of people is no way. Think about that when you say hi to Deidre over the fence tomorrow morning. 
But do you see the problem with these two ideas? These are, these are genuine things. I mean, I'm exaggerating, obviously. But these are some of the things that our neighbors, our friends think about when we call ourselves born against Christian, these two caricatures. But the problem with these two caricatures is here. Right here. The problem is Nicodemus. Because who's he? You see, Nicodemus was considered by most people in his time as a very important man. A wise man. He was a Pharisee, a very religious, morally upright person in his day, planting synagogues across the country, unpacking the Bible of the day, praying for the nation, outwardly generous, winning the hearts of the common people. Nicodemus was top of the pops as far as status and standing was concerned. He was also a teacher of teachers, a rabbi, an intellectual an intellectual guy, Cambridge, don't you know, like Dennis. But he didn't know that. He was also a powerful man. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin. So here is Nick at night, that's what we're going to call him. Nick at night, an older male, a highly successful person, a highly intellectual person, and a completely pulled together, respectable, important, powerful person. And to him, yes, him, who was, uh, to him, yes, him, Jesus, who has never gone to school, who has no credentials, who hasn't risen up the ranks, cuts him short, cuts him short, and blasts Nick at night with you. You, yes, you, must be born again. What? Do you see how jaw-dropping this is? Why John has included it here? Yeah, of course, to the broken, marginalized, grieving, addictive, sinful, down-and-out, chaotic mess, uh, um, you know, people of, people of the world. Jesus says, you must be born again. I get that. Yeah, I get that. But also to the morally upright, prim, proper, goody-two-shoes, Jesus says to them too, you must be born again. Either way, your life so far counts for nothing. You need to start again. This is radical. Why? Because this isn't a call to more religion. It's actually a challenge against it. Interesting. I think so anyway. Who's it for? Every one of you. You must be born again. Secondly, where is this new birth, this new life from? Where does, we, where does it come from? Well, I don't know if you've noticed, but twice here Jesus talks about the kingdom of God. Actually, we sang about it earlier today, earlier this morning. Verse 3 again, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Verse 5, very truly, um, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. You know what? That is also really, really interesting. You all look very interested again. I'll tell you why. In the Gospel of John, the writer almost never mentions the kingdom of God. Except here. Now, we're used to it, but in this book, it's hardly ever mentioned, except here, a little bit at the end. 
Now, why is that interesting? Because it's significant and important, especially to Nicodemus. That's why Jesus raises it here. You see, Nick would have understood the kingdom of God slightly different to us. The Pharisees will have believed and taught that the kingdom of God will come at the very end of the age when all the dead will be resurrected and God will bring a new heavens and a new earth. At the very end of time, far, far away, it was a distant reality. This reference by Jesus will, will have got Nick's attention. Yeah, because he was saying, and it would have puzzled him immensely, Because Jesus seems to be saying, hey, your distant, far away idea of the kingdom of God is actually much, much closer than you think, Nick. In fact, the kingdom of God, Nick, is open to you now and the only way to see it is to be born again now. Remember what Jesus said to Nathaniel when he called him to, uh, to follow him. He said in John 1.51, we spoke about it before, you haven't seen anything yet, said Jesus. Before this is over, you're going to see heaven open and God's angels descending on me, the Son of Man, and ascending again. Yes, there will be a day when all sadness will come, un- come untrue. Yes, there will be a day when there will be no more mourning, weeping and sickness and death. Yes, there will be a day when the dead will rise again. Yes, that's a future hope. But get this, Jesus said. That healing new life, heaven touching earth, power of the kingdom is available now. And Jesus is the gateway. Tom Wright, a former bishop of Durham, wrote this. God's kingdom in the preaching of Jesus refers not to a post-mortem faraway destiny, not to our escape from this world into another one, but it is God's sovereign rule coming on earth as it is in heaven now. Heaven, he says, is a picture of present reality. He writes it, present, present reality from the future the heavenly dimension of our present life. Heaven in the Bible is regularly not a future destiny, but the other hidden dimension of our ordinary now life. God's dimension, if you like. Jubilee, where's it from? The future. This isn't Doctor Who. This isn't um, Marty McFly from uh, Back to the Future. This isn't a fairy tale of time travel. No, this is, a re- this is a reality. An implantation of God's future power into your life now. Now! Do you get it? Look, never, never underestimate the power of new births. These weak, fumbling, unfaithful, cowardly, uneducated disciples that we're going to be reading about throughout the Gospels uh, became, uh, throughout John's Gospel became world changers, history changers. They died for it ultimately. They were not made of more promising material than you or me. Do you hear that? Who's it for? Everyone. For the got it all together and the falling all the parts. Where's it from? The future power of God's kingdom is being poured out now but not fully yet. That's what Jesus is saying. Next, 
next. What does it look like being born again? again? What does it look like? Well, firstly, it's not an object or a force at all. Yeah. New birth, being born again is a person flooding your life. You guys on the Alpha Spirit Holy Wedding, uh, Alpha, Alpha Holy Spirit Wedding, Weekend, Wedding. That's what I tick, ticked on the. Uh, anyhow, you will have got this. You will have spent a whole day looking at this. New birth, being born again, God the Holy Spirit, being filled with God the Holy Spirit, real, tangible, live experience of God. A few years ago, Terry Virgo, the man who birthed and has fathered New Frontiers Family Churches, has fathered the New Frontiers Family of Churches, um, just up until a few years ago, um, uh, the family of churches that we're part of stayed at my house, our house, one weekend. Charlotte and I were really excited about this. At the time, he was probably my favorite author and preacher. Probably the most influential person in terms of Christianity uh, so far. Even though we weren't buddies, and we're not actually buddies still either. but, But to have him stay at our house for the weekend, ding dong. And do you know what? His very presence in our house changed everything. For, the start, for a start, the house was spotless and clean. I can say that. Charlotte's not here at the moment. The waft of Mr. Sheen and shake and vac put the freshness back was phenomenal. Not only did the house look beautiful and smell beautiful, smell beautiful but Charlotte and I behaved beautifully. Miracle! No rows, no grumpiness, no sulking, kisses and cuddles, nice words, you know, that kind of stuff. And it wasn't that we were just putting it on. It wasn't just an act, no. The little things that would usually rub us up the wrong way just didn't matter anymore. Why? Because Terry was here. He was with us. To be filled with God the Holy Spirit is to have your whole life transformed by an acute awareness, consciousness of the glorious person that lives permanently within the walls of your life, my life, those kids' lives that are at kids' work now. Are you aware of him, Jubilee? Romans 8.11 says this, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you now. When Jesus refers to being born of water and Spirit, verse 5, He's referring Nick back to the Old Testament. Nick would have been able to recite this stuff. He was probably talking about Ezekiel 36.25 where it says this. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. 
And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws out of joy. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. Why? Because you will be my people and I will be your God. You see, God the Holy Spirit calls us to a new identity in Christ. Ephesians 1 says, He chose us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. We're not God's enemies anymore. We're his sons and daughters. What does that relationship do? It changes my heart. Now, now of course I want to please him. He's my dad. Of course I want to live this new life in accordance with his will. Not because I have to, because I want to. Not out of fear, out of love. Not because he's my boss. No, because he's my father. God the Holy Spirit empowers us. Later on in John 14, 16, Jesus says that after he's dead and risen again, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. That word advocate or parakaleo in the Greek is a very difficult word to translate. Sometimes it's translated comforter, but it, it, which is really sweet, but it makes God out to be some quilt or something. Sometimes it's translated helper or friend or encourager. J.B. Phillips translates it as someone else to stand by you. Yeah. The word parakaleo is such a rich and complex word that one English word just won't do. Describing God the Holy Spirit. You see, the first bit, the para bit, means not to be in front of or behind, but alongside, like the word parallel. God the Holy Spirit comes right alongside you. He stands by you, He upholds you, He represents you, loyal to the end, for you in the strongest sense. But on the other hand, kaleo means to declare, to call, to argue even. There's a soft side to Him comforting you, but there's also a hard side arguing with you, debating with you, challenging you. What are you doing that for? Stop that. Get real. Shh, shh. Sometimes his love has teeth in it. Sometimes he's for you, against you. For our good. God the Holy Spirit reminds us of Jesus' love, especially on the cross. Think about it. When you look at Jesus's, oh gosh, you can hardly see that, can you? When you look, um, the sun is shining. When you see, when, when, when you look at the cross, we get a, a bigger, much deeper understanding of Jesus' love. In Jesus' love, there is self-giving commitment that results in action. As he moves from heavenly glory to muddled earth to become flesh. As he moves from all majesty and honor to be an infant who trips up and soils his nappy. As he moves from intimacy, the intimacy of his father to facing temptation of all kinds, misunderstanding, bereavement and rejection. As he moves from the throne room of heaven to, to a cross, barely recognizable, welts on his face, ripped flesh across his chest and back, mocked, abandoned, denied, betrayed, humiliated. This God-man, Jesus, in absolute terrifying love, cries out to his press, oppressors, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. You know what? You know what? 
Do you know what it is to be loved? Look at Jesus. It feels like Jesus doesn't love me. What? No. Why does Jesus love you? That tells us beyond all doubt. Why does God allow suffering? I don't know. But his suffering shows us that whatever it is, he understands. He's been there. And not and not because he doesn't love and certainly not because he doesn't love us. He does. Quite the opposite. He loves you that much. God the Holy Spirit makes our Bible reading move, move from just understanding to delighting, from just knowledge to love letters, as uh, Nicky Gumbel says in Alpha. Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. As temples of the Holy Spirit where God lives, we become the greatest prayers. We are winning the battle. As Helen said in prayer, walls are coming down in prayer. Pray for this nation. Lines are being drawn in the sand in prayer. Why? Because God is with us. It's overwhelming sometimes, isn't it? God the Spirit challenges our character and brings about a holiness that we never thought could possibly be. Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, kind-heartedness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. These are the attributes. These attributes are what God is needing, rolling, pushing into us like dough more and more. As spirit-filled, born-again Christians, you will be messengers with power. Jesus said to his disciples, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in everywhere. Everywhere he puts you. Everywhere he takes you. Jubilee, 2 Corinthians, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever, ever, ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is spirit. What does it look like? That's just the tip of the iceberg. That's just a glimpse of the amazing journey, the greatest adventure of all, that this new life, this new birth takes, takes us on. A spirit-filled life, a life walking in the Spirit of Christ. That's the who, that's the what, that's, that's the who, that's the where, that's the what, finally, quickly. How do you receive this new life? Two things, repentance and faith before we close. This new birth, this new life, being born again, is fully, completely, totally something that God does, not us. We can't go and get born. Yeah? Birth miraculously happens to us. But we do respond and receive this wondrous life uh, this wondrous new life in repentance and faith. It's almost like two sides of the same coin. First repentance. This is what J.I. Packer, the British-born Canadian theologian, says. He's now 92. Um, he's seen a lot. He wrote this. The New Testament word for repentance means changing one's mind so that one's views, values, goals and ways are changed and one's whole life is lived differently. The change is radical both inwardly and outwardly. Mind and judgment, will and affections, behavior and lifestyle, motives and purposes, all are involved. 
Repenting means starting a totally new life. Look, this is the bottom line. Whether you try to, whether you try to save yourselves by being moral or more helpful or hardworking or beautiful, it doesn't matter. You're trying to save yourself. That's what religion is about. You're putting yourself in the place of God. You see, 20 years ago, I didn't get this. It confused me. The richer and more accomplished and educated and popular um, I became as I moved from medical school to being a doctor distanced me, actually, further and further away from God. I might have thought I was becoming better, but deep down, I was becoming more and more self-righteous, proud, arrogant. I looked down on others. I abused my standing. I thought I was invincible. And worst of all, worst of all, I was blind to it. I thought I was doing great. You know what? That might be you this morning. God was nowhere in sight as far as I was concerned. It took tragedy to open my eyes through my mom dying of breast cancer, age 50, through my brother Robin killing himself one day, through my subsequent wildness and depression, I realized I wasn't in control, that my life was a mess, that I was living a lie. I needed something. I needed someone to put this right. I couldn't do this on my own. I couldn't keep being my own savior. I never saw that before. Why did, why did I need to repent? I love how the great reformist Martin Luther, puts, Martin Luther puts it. They stare blinking at the doctrine of repentance like a cow staring at a new gate. That was me. Repentance is the realization that we are sinful from the heart. Repentance is the realization that the sin above all sins is the despairing refusal to find my deepest identity and worth and security in my relationship and service to God. Repentance is a heartfelt sorrow and a spirit-empowered yearning to say no to this deep rebellion, conscious or subconscious, towards my Creator God. As someone put it, human beings were made not to only believe in God in some general way, but to love Him supremely, center their lives on Him above everything else, and build their very identities on Him. Anything else is sin. Repenting is the realization that involves both a change in mind and a change in direction. It means driving towards God rather than driving towards ourselves. It means agreeing that in our time management, in our conversations, in our finances, in our sex lives, Jesus is Lord. Then there's faith. Repentance is what we turn from. Faith is what we turn to. Faith is turning to God's centeredness, God's righteousness. Faith, faith is believing who God really says He is. Faith is trusting Jesus. Faith is looking to the cross for meaning and love and freedom. Hebrews tells us faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Do you believe Jesus is alive? Jesus is reigning and ruling. As Julian Adams used to say, Jesus is large and in charge. Trusting Him, whatever our situation, whatever our feelings, whenever our, whenever our feelings are changing, going up and down, this isn't, this isn't take, 
take your brains out, stupid face. This is a life, true life, realized. Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and life to the full. This is truth open. This is blind eyes seeing properly much clear against the backwash of brainwashing all around. Being born again is being moved by the wonder and power of the cross. John 16, Jesus says to his disciples, Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn when the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child has been born into the earth. What's he saying to end? For you to be born again, there needs to be the mother's pain, the mother's anguish, the mother's sacrifice. Actually, in Jesus' time, many women would have died in childbirth. There needs to be blood, blood. As a doctor uh, and a dad, I've seen lots of births and there's lots of blood. Spurgeon says Jesus Christ was up there on the cross hurting, dying, bleeding, looking down at the people forsaking him, denying him and betraying him. And in the greatest act of love in the universe, what did he do? He stared. Isaiah 49 describes Jesus as the mother of compassion. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget human, some human moms, I will not forget, says God. It's hard to think of a person who gives less back than a child, isn't it? Screaming in the middle of the night. Gavin, you might want to hear this. Screaming in the middle of the night. Um, totally self-absorbed, making a mess everywhere, needing 24-hour care, spreading and chucking carefully prepared food all over the place, throwing tantrums in the middle of Aldi, biting younger brothers, sister, um, biting their younger brothers and sisters. That's just our kids. Yet Isaiah says there's a bond, a relationship between mother and child. That means the mother continuously, relentlessly shows compassion. In fact, earthly mothers don't always get it right. That's why it says what that, that end bit. Jubilee, this is who we are born again for. This never forgetting, never leaving, always trustworthy, always loving, always gracious and compassionate. God. This is the primary foundation of our new life lived out. This is the new birth. A reality that shapes us forever and ever and ever. The band could come up. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. Forever and ever. Amen. You must be born again, says Jesus. Let's stand. Let's sing. Thank you, Lord, that you are a great God. Thank you, Lord, that you call us to be born again, every one of us. I thank you, Lord, that you put your spirit in us, that you soften our heart of stone, that we become um, uh, receptacles of your love and also your dwelling place. And I pray, Holy Spirit, this morning, let that challenge us, change us, and move us. Let faith in action come alive in our lives as we move from meetings to interactions with real people.
everywhere you put us. In Jesus' name, amen.